Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, briancleman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Welcome to Protecting Your Assets. It's Lucky Luciano Cedrodi with me, Brian, the Angry Man uh, Clayman. Today yeah. we're going to be talking about setting expectations and, uh, you know, something that I think we generally do a poor job of in security. And we'll get into that, obviously, as we uh, get into the podcast. But as usual, we're going to listen to uh, Brian's rant over the over the last couple of weeks in terms of what's keeping him up at night. Brian? off by that I may have to start changing my uh, nickname from the angry man to lucky I am just lucky to have been with you for 33 episodes <laughs> and and I'm just lucky to work with you and learn from you and oh my god I'm such a liar anyways <laughs> I am angry uh what keeps me up at night I wonder what it might be COVID just oh, in god. time for Christmas uh, the new variant of COVID the new version of COVID I think what's keeping me up at night is my concern that this next version will be problematic one way or the other. Uh, I uh, The signals that I'm seeing out of officialdom is a little bit disconcerting. And I'm concerned because I think people are tired, and yep. understandably. And um, I think COVID fatigue is real. I was uh, listening to a broadcast from one notable Kane journalist, I forget who it was, and he was saying the other day that uh, even the good people, the people that have done all the right things, are fatigued. So the challenge is, how do we, you know, ensure that we do the right things and put this thing to bed in a state where we're two years into this almost now and people yeah. are fatigued? And that concerns me a little bit. Uh, I um, am worried about, uh, what am I worried about? Really keep me up Your memory. I'm worried about my memory. It's really keeping me up at night, and uh, I, I'm worried about uh, you know the ability of our leaders to communicate effectively. And I'm really concerned when I listen to the medical community and I listen to the politicians, the political leaders. There's a real disconnect. Case in point, and I'll stop talking about my rant in a second. Doug Ford, who uh, I generally liked. Uh, was saying that the vaccine passports are going to go away at the end of January. He said that earlier on in October or November. Based on what criteria would he say that? The science? Because no one is surprised. We didn't expect this variant, but Delta was a real problem that we were expecting this winter. So what it, did it have to do the science, or did it have to do what was good for Ontario? Or is it perhaps there's an election coming up, mm -hmm. and you wanted to, you know, befriend people that may otherwise not have voted for them. That's what concerns me. That's what keeps me up at night. I just don't trust the decisions. Certainly coming out of the politicians, I'll just say one more thing. I don't believe that, why are you laughing at me? It is, honestly, you, you're you're the producer. You can cut me off anytime. But, but you, you know, uh, the, I don't trust the politicians. I trust the scientists. And I'll tell you why. There's nothing in it for them, okay? They don't have to get reelected. They don't have to say things to keep their job. 
most of them, especially the healthcare community, want to get back to a sense of normalcy because they're the ones that are really suffering and struggling. Politicians, on the other hand, are by definitions politicians. They got to worry about politics. They got to worry about being reelected. When I look at what's happening in the states, I see some of it here in Canada. That's what keeps me up at night. Well, I'm not going to disagree with your points about politicians. I think the communication has been a disaster all the way through, and it continues to be a disaster. We talk about the stupid Q codes now that they've messed that up as well. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to get into the COVID. I'm sick and tired of COVID, to your point. I'm fatigued about COVID. I could care less about Omicron. They, they just found a new one in France, in case you haven't heard that today. Uh, so, yay, we got more of this shit ahead of us. <laughs> but my uh, my yeah. quick rant is totally different because I'm tired of listening, uh, talking about COVID. And it has to do with the Olympics. And it has to do with the politicians. We got that in common. Um, but really, and it sets us up into our con what our topic is today. I heard uh, earlier this week when Canada, you know, in all their uh, astute um, willingness to be quick and to the forefront and all that, our politicians finally decided to boycott the Olympics. Yay. Like, after everyone else. I think yeah, we're after everyone. Six. Exactly, my point. I think we're number six on the five eyes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, and so, I, you know, they boycotted the Olympics, which I think was obviously long overdue. They should have been a leader in that, not a follower. But when I listened to the radio on my way into work, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and I think it was John Moore that was interviewing, um, I believe it was the for, uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs. I'm not 100% sure. But whoever it was, had the audacity to respond to the question. So John asked her, um, you know, if it's so, since you're boycotting it, and he totally agrees with that, that's fine. The politicians aren't going to go. But how can you feel comfortable about letting our athletes go to China, a country that just recently released two prisoners that had no business being prisoners, and they were there for a couple of years because of your incompetence, basically? And the response from the minister was, well, John, we have an outstanding security apparatus that is going to take care of our athletes. And that's exactly what I did. I rolled my eyes like you just did. And I said, are you freaking kidding me? They're going down this road again, setting false expectations. If something goes sideways over there while the athletes are, are playing, are, you know, and you know, I, I feel for the athletes, but at the end of the day, it's, it's bigger than you. You may have wasted four years of your life preparing for this. The issues on the table right now are bigger than you'll ever you'll ever be. And yeah. it's going to take some courage to make those decisions, tough decisions that say, hey, if you decide to go over there and they decide to arrest you, don't expect us to fly in and, and, and take there. you out. First and it's all, just not yeah. going to happen. So that risk is real. Why are we even sending them over there? And I don't want it to be about whether or not we send the, the, the athletes over to China. I'm really talking about the fact that the government continually, continuously sets expectations, whether it's about COVID or about the Olympics, that aren't realistic, and it ends up becoming a disaster. Okay, now that the two Michaels are out. I'm the angry guy. I'm just going to say, you, you're a little more laid back. You're motivating me, but you're also the drinker. But now that the two Michaels are out, we have focused our attentions, laser-focused, on Afghanistan to get our interpreters out. And once we finish that in about 3,000 years, we're ready now to take on China. What you don't appreciate, Luke, is that the Chinese are fearful of Justin Trudeau. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they don't know what to expect. He's a wild card. He's a bit like Trump. They're scared he may have the button, his finger on the button, and he yeah. may change the channel 
from the Chinese news station to CBC. It's a joke. I have only respect for the Rokane Mounted Police and the Canadian yep. Security Intelligence Apparatus. They are amongst the best in the world. That said, they're in a foreign country, which is one of the major powers of the world. And the two or three or four or 100 RCMP officers that are going to be unarmed that we send over will not be able to stop the Chinese from doing whatever it is they decide to do. Exactly. Yeah. So let's continue that on to the topic of the day, which is setting expectations. We've had plenty of uh, uh, debates on this, you and I, because we do have some differences in who we think, the, the where the blame should lie. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to hear the discussion today, basically talking about how the clients set up those expectations or uh, contractors agree to those expectations, whatever you want to, you know, how you want to approach it. But at the end of the day, it's setting up expectations that aren't realistic and basically set the program up to fail. Sort of like, you know, I talked about the politicians setting up our athletes to, to fail. So that's where we want to go today. And uh, a part of that will be talking about key performance indicators because you got to be able to measure whether or not you're hitting your expectation or how, how do you know you're meeting expectation if you don't have a, a measurable system in place. So let's start with setting the expectations. What have your, what has your experience been, Brian? And What's your thoughts on how the industry sets expectations? Where does it start? Where, where should it lie? And how do you go about doing that? I'm going to teach you, Luce. Sit back, <laughs> take notes, and listen. To me, it's all... I, I got a bottle waiting for me. <laughs> it's, you know, it's less important to set expectations and more important to manage expectations. And what amazes me is that, uh, especially on the contract security side of the fence, the, and I understand the business imperative. I mean, if you're not bringing revenue into the business, you don't have a business. So it's hard to say no. I sort of get that. But if you don't manage expectations, if you enter into agreements with clients, okay, which are not uh, defined, properly defined in a prescriptive contract, which doesn't really say what it is you have to do. And then you tell, yes, 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 sort of like the bobblehead, okay? Yes, we can do it. Yes, we can do it, okay? And the client is happy. The thing that amazes me is that the client's only happy for a second. He's, the happiness fades when you fail to deliver. So I'll give you an example, and I know this firsthand because I'm well-connected as you are with the industry, contract and other. And uh, right now with COVID and minimum wage, uh, uh, underpaid security guards, it's hard to get security guards. Yeah. And there's never been more demand for security guards than there are now. So what do some com companies say or do? Many of them say, yes, 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 we can do it. And they overpromise and they underdeliver. And they make the client happy until the day they're unable to provide the client. And then the client's no longer happy. Yeah. So what? how's that worked out for them? What have you gained? Um, the other thing is I've worked with clients that wanted my guidance and advice on why does the client hate us? Why is the client uh, uh, thinking we're not performing well? And I always say, let's take a look at the contract. And a contract is more than just a document that says, I'm going to pay you X per hour. It also has a scope of work, and it's got to be a detailed prescriptive scope of work. And I told this one client was saying, well, I don't know what to do. The client who's a major national client is asking us to do A, B, C, and D. And uh, we say, okay, we'll do it, but we're going to have to charge them more. And they refuse to. And we just don't know what yeah. to do. And I say, well, what's written in the contract? Well, there really isn't a lot in the contract. I said, well, that's your first mistake. You should never enter it into an agreement without a prescriptive contract. 
And if it was a prescriptive contract and the client wants you to do something extra, it's either part of the contract, then you better do it. And if you can't do it, you got a problem. Or if it's not part of the contract and you're doing it as an extra, tell the client that we don't do work for free. We're happy to do it. But this is an extra to the contract. It's going to cost you. That just, you know, uh, these are accidents waiting to happen that we continue yep. to do time after time after time. So I think where you and I uh, differ is that I believe there's two culprits here for this failure. One is the senior security leaders or the people that influence the contract on the client side. And the other is the security companies that are saying yes, like the bobblehead, yeah. to any demand. They enter into business without a properly defined contract and they try and wing it and that never works out. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, I think we agree on that, that there's there's both, I think, you know, the, the blame lies with both because the contractors, yeah, they're going to do whatever the client says. And I hate that term, you know, the client's always right. That's bullshit. Sometimes the client needs to be told he's wrong. Yeah. Um, but the blame is also as much on the client side who doesn't know what they want, doesn't know what to expect. We've just talked, you know, we're we're, we're involved with some some um, uh, contracts now where we've talked about the the requirements of those contracts and they're asking for things that you know damn well they don't understand what they're asking for, right? And so, yeah, as a client, we're going to say we, we can do that, but they don't know what they're asking for. So how can you know what you're getting if you don't even know what you're asking for? Right, it goes back to setting the expectation. If I want, if I want a Corvette, do I really know that a Corvette's going to cost me extra money for gas? It's going to cost more maintenance. It's going to cost more. You know, people are going to want to steal it. There's a higher risk of all these things when I could have just got a Chevette, achieved the same purpose, and not have to worry about all these other things. But I think clients often get um, preoccupied with the bells and whistles around the contract that they don't focus on the actual key requirements that they need. Yeah, but let me throw this your way, okay? The client is assuming that I, the client might be an insurance broker, it might be a property management company. They may, in most cases, they don't have security professionals to guide them, okay? So the client says, I'm gonna go to the company A or B or C. They're a security company. If I'm an insurance broker and you come to me for insurance, I can tell you what, you know, I, I know about insurance, so I can give you uh, guidance and a service and advice. I go to a security company, I expect the same thing. So I blame this back on the security companies. In in my business, in the work that we have done, I have said no. I mean, no one likes to turn away business, but my rationale for saying no is that if I say yes, and this is great, I send you an invoice, and at the end of the day, I don't make you happy, what have I gained? I've got the one invoice, and then I have an enemy out there uh, in the marketplace bad-mouthing me. It's not worth it. But no. the, uh, many companies, technology, security technology and security guard companies, rather than say no, they say yes, and we'll try and wing it. Years ago, when I was in the armored car industry, many, many years ago, and I was um, uh, with, the, uh, with Brinks, and uh, uh, I was a uh, uh, robbery investigator, and the, it, it was comical to watch our sales guys would go to the banks and promise the world Yep. And then after they sign the contract, they go to the operations guys, yeah. say, this is what you got to do. And they said, what? We can't yep. do that. Well, you uh -huh. got to figure it out. And they walk away. They high five themselves. They say, we got the contract, got the commission. There's that disconnect. So I think, you know, uh, rather than put the onus on the, uh, the, the client, the security operator has to realize that it's in his interest to get it right. Because if he yep. doesn't educate and steer the client right, he's going to wear it at the end of the day. And, 
my favorite expression is I tell my son, how does that end up for you? Yeah, it always ends up. I'm just going to, you know, I, I'll just put in one other thing. I think that I still go back to the client because they have to do their homework. If they're not prepared to do their homework and pick the right people, that's not, that doesn't help the situation. And I'll give you a quick example for us when we were looking for uh uh, we were going to roll out an access control system across the, the country. It was a national uh, initiative. And the national team at that time, I wasn't part of it, but they got sold a bill of goods from a guy who was supposed to be a world-renowned uh, consultant, uh, engineering designer um, that was you know well-referenced according to the person who recommended him. Um, so he comes into town, and of course the client is taking him at his face value, didn't do the background, didn't do the reference checks, it was only afterwards when we found that the system he was promoting was a disaster. It had to be ripped out of all our freaking buildings at a significant cost. Okay, and we found out then that all the data that we were that we were storing for all these great buildings was basically in his garage. It was Joe's garage that was running uh, a, a, an access control platform for a national uh, enterprise system, right? And that was on us. We didn't do our due diligence. We didn't do our background. And and now the people who were competing against him, legitimate integrators couldn't compete because the guy's prices were so damn low, right? So we were forcing them to go down to a bottom dollar that didn't really exist because this guy had no business being part of that process. So that to me was on us. The client should have done better to prepare what the hell we wanted, make sure the people we invited were qualified um, candidates, uh, vendors, and then you can talk about, yeah, the client's promising us, but they're promising us based on uh, a credible set of expectations. We've done our homework. Yeah, but listen, you know, I know the uh, organization you're talking about, and I know that story well. How has that turned out for that organization? They're still thriving. They're at the top of the yeah. heap. How's it worked out for that service provider? I think he's living in his mother's basement. Yeah. The yeah. point yeah. is that the client got hurt, but the client recovered. The client was able to – the client has nothing good to say about this person, this organization, and this organization doesn't exist anymore. So you're right. There's blame on both sides. There's a responsibility on both sides. But I think it's more incumbent on the service provider. You know, if service provide integrity, you're a CPP, okay? You've been in the industry a long time. A big part of being a security professional, like being a police officer, is integrity. It's not muscles, yeah. it's not strength, it's honesty, it's integrity, it's doing the right thing if uh, even if someone's not watching, even if the person's not watching. Uh, I think the industry has to pull up its socks and say, look, integrity first, we cannot do this. This is not what we do. I mean, there's a more of a chance of taking the small, because it's a small community that we live yeah. in, taking that small community and get them to raise their game and start being honest and understand their capabilities, then to look at the community of uh, potential clients that are out there of all shapes and all sizes that aren't fortunate to have people like you and perhaps me running their security <laughs> programs, it's likelihood of changing that is very, very minimal. The likelihood of changing the industry, holding the industry to a standard is a lot better. It's a lot more likely, it's a lot higher. I just don't understand how, from an ethical point of view, we as an industry get away with some of the things that we get away with. Yeah, and, and, uh, it's not, and, and I'm not damning the whole industry because I'm going to get all sorts of emails and phone calls <laughs> afterwards. You know, the, the, the majority of people certainly that I hang with are, are real professional, but it blows me away some of the large organizations. Not that they're being deceptive, 
but they are so focused on the bottom line. Yep. There's that yin-yang thing, okay? And I'm not saying anyone is wrong, but I really think if you build it, they will come to you, okay? You may lose this account, but if you're doing it right, if you have the reputation for integrity and engineering for predictable, successful outcomes, you may lose the short run. You're always going to win in the long run. But I think we don't look at the end game. We look at the short game. That's yep. big. Hey, folks, Lucky Luciano here reminding you to visit our sponsor, BrianClayman.com, where his team of experienced professionals can help you build an effective security program that balances risk with the needs of your business. And please don't forget to hit that like button if you enjoy our podcast and help spread the word by sharing us with your network. And now, back to protecting your assets. So that's a good segue into the next part because I want to keep us moving along. Um, And that is, how do we know that we're setting expectations? Well, how do we know... We know what we're setting expectations. How do we know that we're meeting those expectations? And that's where the key performance indicators come in. Um, and I think these have become more of a challenge in recent years because certainly clients have more are, are being more and more inclined to introduce penalties if you don't meet them. Um, there has been, a, I think, a positive uh, trend in some of the uh, contractors that I know or vendors that I know who are working towards more of a rewards-based system. If you, if you do better than what they expect, they're going to give you more as opposed to work focusing on the negative and the penalties. Um, they're trying to, sh- to shift more towards positive behavior and positive outcomes, which I think is a good thing. You want to, you know, you, I mean, nobody likes getting shit on at the end of the day. I don't, but I'll let you finish then I'll tell you. <laughs> but then I'll uh, tell you what you're wrong. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Did you fall off your chair? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go into how do you set those KPIs or do you want to talk about it before I get into that? Uh, just two seconds, okay. The reason I'm against uh, bonuses, if you will, okay, and I like penalties, is you're giving someone a bonus for doing what they're paid to do. That is just a cop-out. That is just wrong. I mean, if a person does what they have this to do. This is for better. This is for better than what they agreed to. Not, not that's, that's the difference. But you know what the bonus is if you do better than what you agreed to? That you keep your job, and when the contract expires, they're resigned. You are not a modern manager. <laughs> no, honestly, because that's just a cop out. I'm not going to pay anyone to do. I'm going to reward them. Listen, you you know because you've been in the same boat. I've turned over companies at the end of the contract that haven't produced, and companies that have produced have been with me for a long, long time, and they've reaped tens of millions of dollars. Yep. That's the benefit. So you're wrong. Yeah, Say but you're you're, you're in the old you're in the wild west, my friend. I'm telling you, the new uh, you know these are the new generation. These are kids who grown up in in the environment that everybody gets a star, everybody gets the participation medal, and that's where we're at, Brian. Whether you like it or not, that's oh, what funny. makes people perform. So it's not about doing what you've promised. I I'm gonna promise you that I'm gonna be uh, you know ninety percent. Uh, attendance, uh, you know, closed shifts. Shifts aren't going to be open. Ninety percent of the time, we're going to be we're going to fulfill our shifts. So I am meeting that expectation. If I go to ninety-five percent, then they're going to get a bonus ribbon or a star. That's the future, my friend. You may not like it, but I'm telling you, that's where they're going. Today is Saturday. We're recording this <laughs> on a Saturday, yes. nineteen fifteen. And you, you know, I've been working nonstop all day. And why mm-hmm. am I working nonstop all day on a particular contract? Okay, not because I want a bonus. I want the <laughs> client when they pay the bill to say, "Hey, these guys are pretty good," and invite me back. So let's sort of agree to disagree. I <laughs> I, I think you're right about the participation. Yes. Star and people, you know, uh, you don't win a soccer game anymore 
everyone participates. Yeah. There's no first star. Everyone's a star. I think that's a problem. And I it is a problem. I'm, I'm not I, agreeing with it. I'm just telling you the reality. But if I'm in the position of power, okay, in that I'm the client, and I, you know, there's one client. There's a lot of providers. I'm gonna do it the right. I'm not gonna fall prey to this nonsense. But that's the listen, bro. How many times? And and you have to be honest. How many times? When you were asked to prepare a report for the board or for the CEO, did they revise it to make it nicer, to change the your wording, certainly, to their wording, which may have sent the same message, maybe, probably not, but certainly would have been a lot softer than we would typically send that message. And that's all I'm talking about. Like, the, the world is changing, whether we like it or not. I'm I'm old school, man. I like it. You know me. I tell you straight as it is, whether you like it or not. But that's cost me a lot of points in certain uh, companies that I've worked for, right? They don't want to hear that. And that's similar with the contract-client relationship. The client doesn't want to hear that. So let's talk about, let's focus on the good stuff. And the more good stuff you give me, the more I'm going to reward you. Well, yeah, but you know, that example you gave with the board or the C-suite, <laughs> you changed my report or my words and everything. That's not the bonus. I interpret that that I'm getting a message that if I can't figure out how to write in a way that meets their needs, I won't have a job. So, so you, you know, like that example doesn't really make your point to me. I just think that you're paying for when I I bought a motorcycle. You know, I love motorcycles. I bought a Honda Goldwing. It's an expensive bike and everything like that. It exceeds my expectations. It's the right. best bike in the world. I got news for you. I didn't go back to the Honda dealer and give him an extra 5,000 bucks. I expect <laughs> him to exceed my expectations. <laughs> All right. Let's agree to disagree on this one. I think, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you. But I think that the world has changed. I think the business world is is moving towards this more positive mentality and all that. And it's, you know, whether it's good or not, we'll see. Okay. Um, or can we sing a, a verse of Kumbaya? Kumbaya, my lord. <laughs> Kumbaya. I see you're going to go there. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. So let's get to uh, how we figure out whether or not we're meeting those expectations. And I think it's a term that most people in uh, in the business or any business should be familiar with. And that's uh, it's called SMART. The framework's called SMART. And basically, you set key performance indicators by keeping them specific so you know what the hell you're trying to measure. It's got to be measurable, right? It's got to be a concrete. It can't be just, uh, you know, the. It looks like it's good. You got to have a some kind of a scale that clearly dictates how you know whether or not you're doing well. It's got to be. What's not up? Quantitative, not qualitative. Right. Yeah. It's got to be achievable. These, you know, your KPIs cannot be so far off the grid that the guys aren't going to be able to meet it because you're just setting yourself up for failure. They'll give up. They'll get frustrated. You know that kind of stuff. Um, it's got to be relevant to your needs, which I think is an important one. As obvious as that might sound, I've seen some KPIs that just make you shake your head as, you know, why are we even measuring this? And sure enough, you take it to the client or the client gets it and they're like, well, we don't even look at that stat. So then why are we measuring that? Because it spends, it, it's it's taking up time, effort and frustrates people. And then the last one is uh, it's got to be time bound, right? There's got to be a, a time in which you're trying to measure it. So that encapsulates the whole smart process. Um, I think it's it's valid. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's valid also. Um, I think it's valid. We agree. <laughs> well, no, we agree. But but I, I think there's a lot of companies, and, and I think you may know who I'm talking about, and they have really good smart KPIs, but they're KPIing the wrong thing. 
you know, there's two parts to a contract. There's the business part to the contract and there's the operation part to the contract. And given that most contracts are very lean on what the deliverable is and how you measure the deliverable and the associated KPIs, what I find is too many KPIs are looking at billing errors. Okay, yeah. uh, uh, do the bills come on time? Uh, like the, the technical stuff and not the operational stuff. Technical stuff is important. Yep. But as far as I'm concerned, not as important as the operational stuff. Because if you're spending a million, two million, three million dollars a year on security, and the bill's on time, but the guard's asleep at the desk, you've wasted your money. But the KPI is not going to reflect that. Yep. That's the weakness with many KPIs. They're KPIing in a smart way the wrong things, or not all the right things. So I think the only two components then that should be added onto that, and that's a good segue because I, I I found this other one that's smarter, not just smart. And smarter <laughs> refers to evaluating your KPIs to make okay. sure that they're meeting what they, and then readjusting them, right? To make sure that you're getting what you're supposed to be getting. They're not going to be perfect and they change over time. Things change, technology changes, programs change. So you have to change your KPIs to keep up with the way your program matures and, and the differences that come out of that. So that's a smarter program to develop KPIs. Um, I'm going to um, go into or I want to go into how do we create those KPIs, if that's okay with you, sir? <laughs> I'm just blown away that you came up with smarter. You're finally talking my language. So I'll just be quiet and listen now. <laughs> all right. So how to create your KPIs. First of all, you obviously you want to determine your end goal. And then you want to ask yourself some questions as to what you're looking for to achieve that end goal. What is the data that you're going to need to be able to say I've achieved that end goal? Identify the information that you're going to be needing and how are you going to collect that? Um, and then determine how frequently you want to collect it. Obviously, is it monthly, weekly, daily? Some of them are daily, right? We have blogs that, that track daily. Um, and set short and long-term goals for those KPIs to figure out what, what the markers are that you're looking for and delegate responsibility for those KPIs. If you're just putting them out there and then nobody cares about them, what are you doing it for? Assign it to somebody. Usually it's a security manager or the vendor's security supervisor or contractor that that manages KPIs, but somebody needs to own it and then be, be prepared to report those back and talk about that? those. Yeah, I, you know, I agree uh, entirely. One of the things I like to do, because managing uh, KPIs is a time-consuming uh, job and, and a lot of clients just can't bother. So what, what I, something that I've tried and that I like is I do monthly KPIs and then I do semi-annual or annual audited KPIs and it works this way. I tell the vendor, I tell the supplier, you KPI yourself. Here's the criteria I'm looking for. You self-report, you self-assess. And people shake their head at me and they say, Brian, you're crazy. They're not going to tell you we're doing a terrible job. And I said, if you have a uh, mutually respectful, trusting relationship where it's okay to stumble as long as, as long as you try and identify what you did wrong and fix it, okay, it works. And this is, this is the way my version works. The contractor KPIs himself each month and he submits it, you look at it, and he's saying everything's great, everything's great. When I do the audited one once a year or twice a year, it better say everything's great. If the audited one, the, the one that we validate, says it's a shit show, and the contractor says he's great, he's now violated the trust. And I make that very clear, and it's in their interest, to be honest. You know, the other thing with KPIs is it's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mistake. You know, I believe in penalty clauses, but I believe in penalty clauses just to get someone's attention. If a person does not score well on the KPI the first month or the second or the third, 
my question will be, okay, thank you for telling me. What's the problem? What are we yeah. going to fix it? If six yeah. months down the road, it ain't fixed, then I have to ask myself, is this guy bringing value? And if he's not bringing value, then either you invoke the penalty clause or you terminate the contract. Yeah. That's sort of the way I see it. It's a partnership. And most contractors are going to be reticent at first till they know you, to be brutally honest. It's hard to tell someone you've screwed up or your organization has screwed up. Yeah. But if it's not an I got you show, but, oh, you screwed up. Why? Well, we didn't have man enough manpower for this reason because of COVID. Okay, what can we do to fix that? Once they realize it's not to get you, but it's to make the program work and the contract successful, you're going to get contractor buy-in. But it's up to the client to prove that it's not a gotcha uh, exercise. That's that's a very important. I think it's, uh, you know, we talk about, and, and I don't know, you're probably going to disagree with me, but I think it really is a partnership. It, it, you have to work together. If you approach it as, I'm just here to be your, you know, to, to fulfill your 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 job, and then as soon as I step out of line, the client's like, you know, you're out of here. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Technically, you can do that, but is it really beneficial for the long-term health of your program? If you're switching out integrators every three months, first of all, you're going to get a reputation, and there's some properties downtown who have that reputation. Um, you know, the transit uh, hub downtown that we're familiar with had a notorious <laughs> reputation. Every six months, they were throwing people out. Nobody wanted that contract. Right. And yeah. so that's not good for the client either. So it really is a partnership, understanding what the objectives are and working together to achieve that. Um, you talked about your KPI report, and I just want to touch on what should be in those KPI reports for uh, listeners. You know, what should be should be part of those those reports to to give you some value. Um, obviously, the goal needs to be clearly identified. Um, what is the metric that they're trying to uh, measure? What are the numbers? How do they make sense? And what's the rationale for that metric? So you understand why you're seeing it. Um, how often are you seeing that metric? That needs to be in that that report as well. Are we doing these monthly? Is it a weekly report? Is it a, an annual report? You know, different different time spans reflect different issues. Um, where are you getting that data? I think is important to understand. Is it coming from a guy's? You know, puts his finger up in the air and figures out where the wind's blowing today and picks a number because some people do that. Or do they actually have systems that are tracking those those patrols and those open shifts and whatever it is that you want? Um, and I think it's also important to present those uh, report the the KPIs to your clients in a visually appealing way, right? Nobody wants to just see numbers. So yeah. use some pie charts, use some graphs, color it up a little, and then dumb it down. And I don't mean that in a negative thing, but we've got, especially in security, like policemen, policemen right? They've got um, terminology that's resident to the business that only guys in the business really understand. And yeah. the property manager may not may not be familiar with that, and certainly the CEO or a board may not be familiar with that. So you really need to be cognizant of the language you're using when you're reporting KPIs. Bring it down to their level so that they understand what they're looking at, and be uh, be prepared to to answer those questions. Well, I like your term, dumb it down. I am the king of dumb, and <laughs> what I like on my KPIs is it really is a it has what the uh, 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 quantitative uh, deliverable is. And then there's two boxes, red and green. Mm -hmm. You either are doing it or you're not doing it. There's not an in-between. You, you know, quite honestly, if uh, uh, you do CPR on someone, you either save them or they die. There's no in-between. And I'm amazed when I see a KPR and it says a oh, one through five. Five is uh, excellent. One is a failure. Oh, you're a 3.6. You, you know, that's qualitative. Uh, it, it's like, like a, a traffic light. I don't even like the yellow light. Red stop, green go. Red, you're dead. Green, you're alive. I think. 
So I, I think to your point, you've got to dumb it down. You've got to make it easy. We're all busy. Our contractors are busy. We're busy. I want to see a one or two page report looking at the most salient points that measure success. I don't want to look at a 25 page report. I want to yeah. see, are you doing it or not? And if you're red, red isn't dead necessarily. If you're red, tell, I'm going to ask two things. Why are you red? Yep. And what are you doing to fix it? Because yep. you're allowed to make mistakes. Because if you KPI'd me, oh my God, there'd be a lot of red. But once you tell me, once my boss tells me what I did wrong, I work very hard to do it right. Because I realize if I don't, I'm bringing no value and I may not have a job. Yeah, and the benefit is you know what you need to do to get better. It's clear, Yeah. right? Yes. Um, and so just end it off on my end. Uh, to your point, point, keep it simple and concise. Don't go on and on about some some dribble that isn't uh, applicable. Just keep it, you know, red pass or red fail, green pass. That's all. That's as complicated as it needs to be. Uh, we talked about using the visuals, you know, color it up. Don't make it just numbers. People get bored. They don't want to see that. They tune out and that's not helpful. Simplify the technical information. Again, dumbing it down. I think this is a good one. You know, be truthful. Don't bullshit these people. Eventually, they're going to find out and it's worse for you. Just tell them what it is. And to your point, it's the response that they're looking for. What are you doing to change it? Everyone screws up. We all know that. So what are you going to do to make it better next time? Um, two more points on this. I think it's important to include historical data, right? So you can see whether they're improving or not. Yeah, they could be red this month, but they've been yeah. green for the last 24 months. So, you know, something's happened. What is it? Let's figure it out um, and keep it regular, right? You want to consistently bring those reports forward. Don't just do it once and say, you know, we're shit and that's it. Well, let's see what we do over the six months. Do we get better? Do we get worse? Keep it consistent. Yeah, and, and this sort of goes back to where we started. And by doing that, we're managing expectations of both parties. The client is making it very clear what their expectation is in terms of deliverable. The uh, the contractor is telling uh, uh, the client how they're doing and where their point, pain uh, points are. And I tell you, I had no problems when I'm dealing with the contract. If the contractor has worked with me, has identified the issues, if he says the issue is with the quality of guard is we're not paying enough, I've got no problem to say, okay, let us see if we can pay a higher bill rate so you can get yep. a better guard. Because it's my interest to do it. But don't just don't just come to me and say you want more money. Demonstrate to me why we need more yep. money. Demonstrate to me that, you know what, Brian, you pushed really hard for a $16 an hour guard. This is the result. Here's the data to demonstrate it's not that we're failing, but you know our hands are tied behind our back. You're going to convince me, and I'm going to see value in you, and I'll see you as a trusted partner because you're managing my expectations. You're telling me what's real, telling me what's not real, and that's, I think, the essence of a good partnership. And on that note, I'm going to leave it there. You summed it up very well. It is about partnerships. Three. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, we would be happy and appreciate it if you could subscribe to our uh, web uh, podcast. We're trying to build the audience. We're, uh, we're doing that, but uh, all the help we can get, we appreciate it. Hit the like button if you like what you're hearing. And if you want to know more about how we uh, manage expectations, how we set up KPIs, uh, you know, visit our sponsor, brianclayman.com. And uh, we're happy to help. Just give us a call and uh, we'll take it from there. So until next time. Have a happy holiday because this will be our last episode before the new yeah. year. And we'll see everybody in 2022. Brian? Yeah, just uh, very quickly with KPIs, this is our 33rd episode, which is exciting. How would you rate me if you were KPIing me? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I'm going to give you a 3.6. <laughs> out, of, out of 
three. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, it's been uh, fun. I I like these things. I hope our listeners are are benefiting from our uh, our discussions. But uh, I enjoy our our debates, and uh, that's why we do them. Well, yeah, and we don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. You know, I think that's important. I think we we try and convey some meaningful information and have some fun along the way. Exactly. So with that, folks, uh, have a happy holidays, and we'll see you in 2022, Brian. Yeah, happy Festivus, happy holidays, happy Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah. Be safe, everyone. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets. (laughs) 